All right. Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, good to see some of those conversations going along. Uh, did it, okay, but did anyone else say the, star, the new Star Wars movies? Or uh, I heard someone say that life promised much and didn't deliver. That's a little bit sad. Hey, um, we're going to actually get into the Word in a moment. So if you've got, uh, got your Bibles open, uh, flip open to Colossians because we're going to be uh, continuing on uh, on our journey through chapter 2 there. So we're going to be reading uh, chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. I'll give you a moment just to pull that up. All right, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." at the moment due to a positive case from one of my kids. Thank you so much for your thoughts and prayers in this time. I'm also thankful for the wonders of technology, which means that I can still bring you this message from God's Word, and it's such a great passage today. I'm still looking forward to getting stuck in, even though I can't be there with you in person. Now, I want to start by telling you about when I was a kid. Um, When I was younger, I used to go to the letterbox sometimes and get the mail for the family. And occasionally, I'd sift through the mail and I'd find the letter. And on the front of the letter, it would say, You have won $500,000. Now, being a young, impressionable kid, I used to get so excited at these letters. I used to run into the house. I used to tell the family, Guess what? We're rich. We're rich, guys. We don't have... Mom and Dad, you don't have to work anymore. We're rich. We've won. And, um, you know, I'd open this letter up with my brothers and inside I'd find it wasn't really true. Uh, It was some sort of, uh, I don't know if you call it a scam, but, you know, to get this money, so-called money that we had won, of course, you had to give them a little bit of money first in your bank account details and all these sorts of things. It was too good to be true, wasn't it? And I don't know if you've encountered something like that. I'm sure we all have been offered something that promised a lot, but really was, you know, pretty empty, didn't come up with much at all. We've all received an email from a Nigerian prince with a vast sum of money wanting to offload it to us, haven't we? Yeah, those poor Nigerian princes, so much money to give us. 
Um, you've all received those texts uh, and phone calls and, you know, those, those things that, you know, uh, scam calls. They don't sound quite right. Saying there's lost money that's suddenly been found and it can all be yours. Now, if we put our hope in those sorts of things, like I did when I was a kid, then surely you're going to be disappointed. And not only that, you'll end up being harmed as well. Most of us can spot scams, but let me tell you something. The best scams, the best lies are those that are closest to the truth. The ones that are most subtle, the ones that sometimes you won't even notice. And friends, today we're going to talk about that for ourselves in our spiritual lives. We're going to talk about the dangers of buying into something that promises a lot, but ultimately is empty and worthless and will ultimately destroy you. How can we guard against this? Well, let's find out. Last week, we saw in the Apostle Paul's um, passionate uh, plea, his, uh, his passionate heart, actually, to proclaim the gospel so that all people may be presented mature and fully uh, know Christ. This is the passion. That's what drives him. That's his mission. That's his method. That's his goal. He's told us one of the key reasons he wants this is uh, one of the key reasons that he keeps talking about Jesus and how amazing he is, we actually find in chapter 2, verse 4 which says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. In the passage today and next week, we are going to look at what these fine-sounding arguments are, what these dangerous arguments are, a false teaching that seeks to draw us away from Christ. But first, let's briefly revisit Colossians 2, 6-7. This is the hinge verse that links last week and today. Colossians 2, 6. So then, just you receive Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, this verse sums up everything that Colossians is about. It's a simple message. Keep having strong roots in Jesus. Keep having strong roots in Jesus. That's it. That's the message. Receive Jesus as Lord and continue living with Jesus as Lord. You don't move from Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. You start with Jesus. And you finish with Jesus. You continue with Him day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. This is the only way to grow strong and healthy, to thrive as God wants for us. The biggest, strongest trees have immense root systems that go deep and wide. That's the only way they can stay upright when storms and winds hit. In the same way, we're called to have our life's foundations deep in Christ so we can be unmovable. We can be unshakable. We can be established in the faith. I'm sure none of us here today want to turn away from Jesus. We're, we're not planning for one day. Yep, yep, I think this year, this is the year that I'm going to drift away. This is the year I don't want a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need strong roots if we don't want that to happen. So when we are attacked and tempted and threatened, we can stand firm. And there will be threats. There will be threats. Let's get into point one. This first threat that we need to be aware of. The ways of the world. It's the ways of the world or Christ. Have a look at verse 8 with me in your Bibles. Colossians 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. 
The heart of this passage is a warning. The heart of the passage is a big warning. See to it that no one takes you captive. Or more simply, don't let anyone take you captive. Don't let anyone take you captive. If I told you there was a kidnapper sighted roaming around the neighborhood, then you'd be on guard, wouldn't you? You'd be on guard making sure that you don't get taken away into a van in the middle of the night. You would be more vigilant. And Paul is saying here to his readers, be on guard. There's someone out to capture you. And he's not talking about being physically captured. He's talking about your hearts and your minds being caught. The context for the young Colossian church was, and they were Gentiles, remember this. They weren't Jews. They grew up soaking in worldly philosophy. Philosophy uh, is just another way of saying um, the, you know, uh, the ways of the world, uh, a way of thinking, a worldview. It's not a... And the, um, the, what the Gentiles uh, thought about was not a Christian worldview. Yeah, it was a Greek way of thinking influenced by pagan religion. The culture all around them was about worshipping pagan gods and pagan gods that represented different realms of the uh, everyday life. Uh, money, success, sex, all these things ruled by different gods that told you different ways to live. This is what the passage is talking about when it actually talks about the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But what we need to remember is all of these Gods are false gods. What do they provide? Verse 8 told us, hollow and deceptive philosophy. And Paul is warning the Colossians, don't go back to this stuff. This is where you came from, but don't go back to this stuff. Stay firmly rooted in Jesus. Don't get sucked in by the philosophies of this world. Don't get sucked in by anything or anyone that isn't Jesus. That's his message. The world promises much, but it doesn't provide anything in the end. And that's a message for all of us today. There are so many things in this world competing for our hearts and our minds. So many philosophies and worldviews seeking to capture us, to take us captive and away from Jesus. And here's the thing. Most of them are very, very subtle. They look really good. They seem pretty harmless, but they will destroy you if you let them. As the pastor of the years, unfortunately, I've seen a few ways of thinking that have come from the world that have really infected the church and have led more Christians away than I'd like to count. These are the things that I've seen actually lead people away from Jesus. This isn't theoretical, unfortunately. This is what I've seen. Here's the first worldly way of thinking that um, leads people away. The first is relationships will make you happy. Relationships will make you happy. In the world's eyes, isn't it true that having a romantic partner is everything? Uh, Look at Valentine's Day that just went by. Uh, This is how you find true happiness. This is the message. Um, Romantic partner. And I've seen many Christians buy into this, unfortunately. So many that have pursued a boyfriend or a girlfriend above all things. And Jesus becomes a distant memory. It means that Christians date people they shouldn't be dating It means Christians end up marrying people that don't love Jesus. And it means that Christians slowly drift away as their hearts have been captured by someone else besides Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, that that relation won't make you happy. It will lead to misery. Don't buy into that lie. Here's another way of the world, another worldly philosophy that infects our church and is all around us. Success will make you fulfilled. 
Success in your career, that's why you're here, isn't it? That's what the world tells you. That's why, that's why you exist. Ever since, ever since you're little, it's all about being studying hard, getting the good marks so you can get the good uni degree so that you can get the good job and you can earn good money and that people respect you and you're successful and you're great. And the thing is, it never, never stops. I've seen Christians sacrifice more and more and more upon the altar of their career progression their families, their spiritual lives, themselves, and they aren't fulfilled. They just feel like they have to keep on going because that's what everyone else is doing. Friends, don't buy into the lie. These philosophies, they offer much, but in the end, they don't give you anything. They offer the good life, freedom, joy, but they don't deliver. And if we let our guard down, this worldly thinking will take us captive We will be bound and trapped, enslaved to things that will lead us only to death. It might start small. It might start with skipping youth group because you have to study for your exams and make sure that you do well. It might be skipping your Bible reading, your your prayer, your time with God because, you know, I've got other things to do. I've got to check my stocks. I've got to be, I'm I'm investing. I'm I'm looking at property. I, I need to have time for that. It might be skipping church, life group. Other time in Christian community because work demands it. I need to perform for my boss. I need that promotion. It will be a slow, gradual, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, drift away from Jesus Christ. Until the ways of the world have gripped your heart so tightly that you can't escape. Do not be taken captive by the world, friends. That's my plea to you. Do not be taken captive by the world because we have something so much better. We're at point two, why Christ is better. Paul's strategy for guarding against the ways of the world is this. This is his big message he wants us to take away. Don't be captured by the world. Instead, be captivated by Christ. Don't be captured by the world. Instead, be captivated by Christ. He's saying to us, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Firstly, look at who Jesus is. Have a look. Verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Jesus is God in the flesh. Not just a little bit God. The fullness of God dwells in Him. Not only that, He is the head over every power and authority. Everything, everyone comes under the rule of Jesus Christ the King. Every nation, every philosophy, every false God. Jesus reigns over them all. He is supreme. This is our Lord. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. What the world offers, it doesn't even compare. Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, God in the flesh. Look at Jesus. Look at who He is. But don't just look at who He is. Also look at what He has done. And the key in this passage here, as Paul goes on, is union with Christ. It means this. If we trust in Jesus, everything that Jesus has belongs to us. Everything that happens to Jesus belongs to us. We have a deep, deep bond, a connection with Jesus that cannot be broken. Because we are united with Him. Because we are joined with Him. We get every spiritual blessing that He has. And what happens to Christ? What does He have? What do we participate in? Verse 10, And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. This means you lack nothing if you are a Christian. 
in Christ you have everything that you need. Do you believe that? One of the biggest ways that Satan attacks us is by lying to us and saying, in Christ, you don't have it all. You need more. Christ is not enough. Maybe that's the whisper in your head at the moment. Christ is not enough. So often we're captured by the ways of the world because we think we need more. We try to fill the longings and emptiness in our hearts by chasing after money, sex, greatness, and we forget that if in Christ we are full. How so? We'll have a look at verse 11 in your Bibles with me. In Him, verse 11, In Him you are also circumcised with a circumcision, not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you are circumcised by Christ. Now, circumcision what was, Circumcision was a symbolic sign for the Jews that marked them out as God's people. And, but Paul is saying here to the Colossians, these Gentiles, that you Gentiles, when you turn to Jesus, you received a metaphorical circumcision. It's not physical. It's not done by human hands. But this is a new spiritual reality that Jesus himself brings, a symbol that you belong to God now. I love the way that Richard Chin puts it. He's an Australian gospel worker. Um, he puts it like this. Instead of stripping off a small piece of flesh, In physical circumcision, in Christ, we have had our body of the flesh, our sins, removed through the death of Jesus. This is the sign that we have now, that we belong to Him. And this can only come as we are united with Christ. Have a look at verse 11, the second half of verse 11 with me. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. Through faith, we are so deeply connected to Jesus and His death that we have been buried with Him in baptism. We are fully immersed, not in water, but in the death of Jesus Christ. For our sins, so much so that when Jesus died, our old self died with him. But it doesn't stop there. We are also raised with him, raised with him. We are resurrected to new life as new people. Now, important to note here, it's not saying that baptism is some magical thing that converts you, right? That's not what it's saying here. That baptism is important. We believe this at CPE Church. When we baptize people, we do so as a powerful expression of this deep gospel reality of death to life, of putting off the old and putting on the new, of no longer belonging to the world, but belonging to Christ Jesus and His church. This can only come as we are united with Christ. In Him, we have every spiritual blessing. Look at what Christ has done for us. Look at what He's done. But we're not done yet. There's still more. As we finish this section, we will behold the climax of His work in this world, the cross. Have a look at verse 13 with me. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, Paul is reminding the Colossian Christians of where they have come from. And he's also reminding us who trust in Jesus of where we once were, where we've come from. Once you were dead in sin, 
This is a picture of utter hopelessness. Dead people cannot do anything to help themselves. You can't help yourself. That's the point. This is our most helpless point. And when we were at our most hopeless, what happened? God made you alive with Christ. This is the gift of God. It's new life. And we can only have this because of what comes next. What comes next? Right at the end of verse 13, it says this. He forgave us all our sins. He forgave us all our sins. We need to stop here for a moment and consider something. Our biggest problem is our sin. Our biggest problem is our sin. Did you realize that? All of us, without exception, this is the problem that we need to deal with. Whether you're Christian or not, I think you know deep down sin is an issue, that sin's a problem. Countless times, we've hurt people, haven't we? Because of our selfishness, our greed, our anger, our impatience, our lust. And we wish that we didn't have these things. We wish you didn't do those things. But there's an even bigger problem than us hurting others. Sin is our biggest problem because it cuts us off from God. It cuts us off from God. Our sin means we can't approach God. We can't have a relationship with Him. We are cut off from Him. And why is this an issue? Some of you might be like, I don't care. That's not an issue for me. But, well, when you're cut off from God, you're cut off from the life giver. You're cut off from life. The only fate that you have is death. Which is why this little verse that we've read before changes everything. He forgave us all our sins. He forgave us all our sins. All our sins, not just a little bit, all our sins are gone because of what Jesus has done. Verse 14, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. I wonder if you've ever been in debt to someone. Now, Lee Ching and I, we're pretty law-abiding citizens, we're pretty, you know, but there is one area of life where we do stumble and fall, and that's with library fines. Yep, library fines. Brisbane City Council Library, you know, our kids, we, they love reading. They love reading. So, we're always getting books here. And you know what? They've all got their own library cards. Um, and the limit for each one of those library cards is, I think, 40 books. So, as you can imagine, they get, there's a lot of books in the house. We often lose track of these books. We don't always get them back on time. We have lost books in the past, unfortunately. And there was one time where we did rack up a bunch of overdue fees, so much so that we were cut off from the library. We couldn't, we couldn't borrow anymore. So, Li Ching, she went in to settle this debt. She went in ready to pay. She had her wallet out. She was about to pay off these fines. And you know what happened? The librarian uh, looked at her and she said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'll just cancel, I'll just cancel the fines. You can, you can start again. You, have, you, you can start borrowing again. Li Ching was amazed. She told me, I was like, what? Why did she do that? I was in shock. Because what had happened was we had this debt that we needed to owe, a debt that we owed, a debt that we needed to pay off. But when we got there, it was wiped clean. We were given a clean slate. We were given a fresh start. This was a source of celebration <laughs> for the whole family. Now think about what Jesus has done. We aren't talking about $30 worth of library fines here, friends. 
We're talking about a multitude of sin. We're talking about us breaking God's law. We're talking about rebellion. We're talking about a mountain of debt that condemns us as completely hopeless sinners, as guilty sinners. We deserve nothing else but punishment. We deserve the righteous anger of God. That's, that's what's in store for us. There is no hope. But it is here that Jesus steps in and he cancels our debt. He wipes it clean. But unlike the librarian, he didn't just sweep the debt under the rug. He didn't just make it disappear like that. Verse 14 tells us something. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Brothers and sisters, we need to realize our forgiveness comes at a price. It costs Jesus Christ his life. He loves us so much that he steps into our place and he dies. He dies a death that you were supposed to. Did you realize that? And his death means Every single sin, every impure thought, every selfish act, every lustful temptation in your heart, everything, everything's been paid for. It's it's been paid for. You've got a clean slate now. The final verse of this section expands this picture of Christ's work even more. Have a look at verse 15 with me. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Through the cross, we've just seen individuals like you and me have an incredible salvation of sins being forgiven. But through the cross now, we see something even bigger. The defeat of all who stand against Jesus Christ, every power and authority, whether they're expressed in human rebellion or spiritual rebellion, all the powers against Christ, they've been put to shame. Jesus is the winner. And ironically, this victory comes through the most shameful, weak-looking means possible. It comes through a humiliating death on a criminal's cross. God has planned this to show us something. He's planned this to show us that the ways of the world, the things of this world that look powerful and promise so much, they're not the way that He works to bring victory. It's through the cross. It's through the weakness and suffering of the cross and the cross alone that this comes. And there is great assurance here. Because Christ has won the victory already. So, even if you never get married, even if you never get that job that you dream of, even if you don't earn as much money as the people around you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because in Christ, you have real victory. You share in His resurrection power. Your sins have been defeated. And this world, well... It can't stand against you because you're with Jesus. You have been raised to new life and you have everything that you could need. The question is, do you believe this? Look at who Jesus is. He's God in the flesh, ruler of all. And look at what he has done. He has forgiven our sins. He's raised us to new life. He has won the victory over every power and authority. Look at Him and tell me, can the world offer anything that remotely comes close to this? Can it? Don't be captured by the world. Instead, be captivated by Christ. And we're going to finish with our last point here now. 
point three, a defense against the ways of the world. The passage is here for one reason. Okay, we need to remember to warn us, to warn us about the dangers of following the ways of the world, the empty philosophies, the false spirituality of the world. But did you notice Paul's technique here? Did you notice how he did it? He didn't spend 10 verses talking about every philosophy in this world and all the ins and outs and the dangers of this world. He had one verse saying, don't be sucked in by the philosophies and the ways of the world. Instead, he focused his time on something else, talking about something else. He talked about Jesus. He talked about Jesus. He talked about who he is. He talked about what he has done. That's what this passage was about. And this is the strategy we need to adopt, friends. If we want to guard against being captured by the world, the solution is not to focus all our time on all the things that we have to avoid, not to keep looking at that, but instead to look at Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus, to gaze upon the gospel, to be captivated by Christ. Just like being faithful in a marriage. Of course, you need to be aware of the temptations around you, but the real solution The real solution is to be utterly captivated by your husband or your wife, the one that you are married to. So much so that when you look at everything else, it just pales in comparison to them. But how can that be the case if you never look at them? It won't be. The more you look at Jesus and behold Him, the more you behold Him and what He has done, and who He is, the more you'll be captivated by Him. The more your heart will be enamored by Him, and the more you reject outright anything that doesn't match up with Him. Sinful culture, false teaching, whatever it is, it won't even appeal to you. The best defense against the ways of the world is simply this, to look at Jesus. To look at Jesus. So how are you going at that? Is your Bible gathering dust on your shelf? Is your Bible app remaining unopened? There hasn't been a streak of a few days running for a long time. Are you beholding your Instagram daily? Or are you beholding Jesus Christ, your Lord and King, daily? Here's one thing we can all do. Every week, you know, here's a little challenge for the rest of the Colossians series. Every week, I want you to pick one verse, just one verse. One verse that you can memorize. One verse that you can meditate on. A verse that reminds you about who Jesus Christ is and what He has done. That's my challenge for you. One verse from every sermon uh, passage that we preach on week by week about Jesus and commit it to your minds. Meditate on it. Chew over it. You know, think about that. Uh, you know, uh, Pastor Matt and I will try and post uh, a suggested verse up. But whatever you do, you know, whatever you do, just do something that will help you look upon Jesus. Okay, you don't have to do that, but do something that will help you look upon Jesus because this is the only way that we will stand firm. Church, my final plea to you once again is this do not be captured by the ways of the world, but instead be captivated by Christ. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And He is so much better than anything this world offers us. But we are so sorry that we often fail to see that. Sorry for the times we've strayed and we've um, fallen into following the ways of the world and we've walked away further away from Jesus. We ask today by Your Holy Spirit that You'll help us be captivated by Christ, 
to see his beauty and his glory and his majesty and what he has done. And may we live for him firm, firmly established day by day. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.